0: Thank you for that, Jay. That was a, a perfect segue into the sermon. It so says you're talking about people going through difficult times. I think that there are many of us here in this church, here right now, that are going through difficult times. Uh, we're going through a season of extreme temptation, a time where God is testing us. We're going through a time of, of trial. Maybe that trial has been something we've brought on ourselves. Maybe that's just kind of something that's been thrust upon us. And the Apostle Paul, as he was writing to the Philippian church, he knew a lot about trial and testing and temptation. He was writing from uh, a place of house arrest in Rome for two years. And he was writing to the Philippian church about how to have joy how to rejoice, even amidst difficult times, so we've been in this series called Joy um, if we go through the paul 's letter to the Philippian church and today we 're going to focus on the topic of leaving behind the things in our past, leaving behind the spiritual baggage of our past, leaving behind the things that have happened to us in the past, that uh, we are holding on to in a spiritually unhealthy way and pressing forward into the future towards Christ, leaving behind the past that God wants us to leave behind and pressing forward towards the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I think that's something that uh, this message you could preach in any church in all of America on any Sunday, and it would speak to many, many people. I think that uh, before we go into the message, there's there's at least four groups of people, four groups of people that today's message is going to speak to. Uh, the first group of people are people who look at their past, and they say, I have done too much that is apart from God for God to receive me as a child of God. Um, I have lived too long of my life apart from God. I have been too great a sinner for God to receive me as a child of God. Uh, There are many people who have made professions of faith, first-time professions of faith in our church over the past year, who have actually moved beyond that place, who have said, no matter what my past has been, it's not going to hold me back from embracing Christ. And we have seen that. And uh, maybe you're here today and you're part of this first group. Or you say, um, I have never known the Lord. And, uh, but, but can the Lord receive me as a child of God? Can he forgive me? Can he bring me new life? Can he give me, is his grace enough for me? Or is my past too great for God to receive me? And these people, many of these people in our church have um, have answered the upward call of Jesus Christ to move beyond that. A second group of people who might be here is you have actually made a profession of faith in Christ in the past, and uh, you're looking at where you're at right now. You're looking at your past with great shame, with great regret, with great guilt. And um, you're a broken man. You're a broken woman here today. And even though you have a a general faith that God exists, that God is for you, um, you're living in this place of what I would call, you're a hopeless believer. You're a believer, but you're living with this sense of hopelessness to your life. I remember there was a, a young man who, um, who found out about our church in 2016, we sent out a whole bunch of flyers to this area. And a lot of times when you announce to an area that you're starting a new church, maybe you'll let the church know through some kind of, uh, you know, announcement. Oftentimes churches will say things like we're a new church. Come visit us. Why? Uh, we've got all these great ministries. Why? Because we got this great program for your kids. Why? Because it'll just be a friendly, nice, comfortable experience. And we said, no, we're not going to say any of that. In fact, in 2006, when we announced that we were starting City Bible Church formally, we just announced that with two words. And those two words were, start over. Start over. If you are interested in starting over spiritually with God, then we're the church for you. And a young man got our flyer and it sat there, he said, on his desk for about two months and he finally decided to walk in the door. I remember the night that he walked in the door. He rededicated his life to Christ, um, moved away, went to medical school. He's getting married in the fall. And now his faith is in a much better place. And he thinks he's given testimony of testimony of how God has used this church to restore him. You might be like that young man here today where you're a hopeless believer when you walked in the door today. You're a believer, but you're You're living with your past that is holding you back from having the hope of Christ in you. And this message is for you. There might be a third group of you that are here today. And what has really held you back is some kind of past negative uh, life draining experience of a religious experience where you've been part of that. And it has been negative in your life. I can think of several people who have walked in and out of our church over the past few years. One person in particular, when they walked into our church, was part of a cult before becoming part of our church. And this cult group that this person was a part of, was, she, she was a part of for years, and it had taken her years to kind of get beyond that and say, you know, could people love me for who I am? Are they just here to control me or not? Or is God a God of freedom and, um, and holiness? And she found that through our church. And then there might be a fourth group of you here today. And for you, you're none of that. Your life right now is not going that bad. It's going pretty good. And for you, the whole idea of leaving behind the spiritual unhealthy, the baggage, the unhealthy passions, the unhealthy beliefs of the past to now move forward for the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, for you... This message is important because uh, you're going to find that oftentimes when your life is going well, that's one of the ways that God is saying to you, you need to use this season where your life is not is, is free from the encumbrances of massive trial, massive suffering in your own life. You need to use this season to go help other people. And that is why it's important that you press forward for Christ, not just for yourself, but for other people. So wherever you're at in that whole continuum, I think this message is for a lot of us here today, forgetting the spiritual baggage that lies behind me in the past, straining forward in the present for the goal of the upward prize of God in Jesus Christ. So we're going to look at our passage today in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12 through 16. Let's stand together as we read God's word. And in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12 through 16, Paul writes this, Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything, and, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have already attained. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, that uh, for us who believe we have attained Christ, Christ has made us, his own. And yet Lord, we are all very aware that we have not attained to truly who we should be in Christ. We are aware of all of the um, ways that the past has risen up like this zombie to drag us back into the grave. And uh, many of us are here this morning stuck in that past. And so Lord, I pray there would be freedom here. I pray that there would be strength to break free, to press forward that God, you have enabled this. You have given us the grace to move forward in Christ Jesus. Help us to have discernment, Lord, on how to do that. And the belief that all things can be made new and right through Christ Jesus here this morning in Jesus name. Amen. And amen. You can have a seat. Thank you. So, Today, we're going to focus on these two verses, Um, verse 13 and 14. This is the, the primary focus of this message. The one thing I do, Paul said, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward, straining forward with the energy of an athlete, the focus of a soldier, straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on. For the goal, for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This message is so important for you as a Christian, because so many Christians get this wrong. So many Christians live out their faith in the past, trying to resolve everything in the past, trying to make up for everything in the past when Christ has done that. And they lose sight of what God wants to do in the present, and they don't focus on the future that Christ has for them in Christ and going forward. And so we don't want to be that we want to move forward because Paul's exhortation to the Philippian church here was that he said in verse 15, a little bit later on, he said that um, if you're mature in your faith, you will look at your faith in this way in verse 13 and 14 in verse 15, he says, those who are mature in their Christian faith, look at their faith in this way. They forget the things that they need to forget in their spiritual past. Their failures, their shortcomings, their sinfulness, that when you're in Christ, Christ is more concerned with where you're at at this moment, and he's more concerned with your commitment to going forward in the future, more so than what has happened in your past. Let me say that again. Christ is more concerned with what you're doing in the present and what you're committed to moving towards in the future towards Him than He is concerned with what has happened in your past. So Paul says this this is a mark of Christian maturity that mature Christians move forward spiritually and know that uh, their past much of it needs to be let go in terms of their wayward behavior. And this is God's message, not just to the Philippian church, but it's his message to our church here today. It's his message to City Bible Church. It's his message to you. If you're here, and you are, the assumption is that uh, there are many of us here who need to hear exactly this message. So the question is this, what spiritual baggage are you carrying with you right now? What spiritual baggage is is creating a sense of spiritual poison in your soul at this moment? Some of you might be here and you are thinking back on this past week, this past month, maybe you're even going back years, years into your past, and there's not a day or certainly a week that you don't think, oh, man, I was so stupid. How could I have been that person? That person is so embarrassing. I have so much shame and guilt about who that person was. Yeah, That was evil. That was wrong. I, I wish I could go back in time and speak to that person. And, um, and that person is like a zombie from the past that's, that just is on your back. And it's stopping you. It's stopping you from experiencing the life of Christ right now and going forward. And you are stuck. You are stuck week after week, year after year in this place. Others of you, it may not be this, this, this bad thing that happened in your past. It might be the opposite Well, you're here and um, you're like, I have been just this superstar in the past. I mean, do you even know? Do you even know um, how brilliant I've been in the past? All of my accomplishments. Do you even know like all my ministry successes in the past, Pastor? And um, if you knew what I know, I can look around at this room and I can give empirical evidence that uh, my life is better than most of the people in this room. That I have done more for the kingdom of God than many of the people in this room. And, uh, and that has created a sense of you are living out of the past and your past pride. And that that is holding you back from the life of Christ. Maybe your spiritual baggage is you had a negative church experience in the past. Um, you were exposed to false teaching at a church. You were part of a church that um, was stagnant for year after year. And you looked around and say, is this really Christianity? I mean, these people are not passionate for their faith. They're just kind of there, there. There's not much there, there. And, they're, um, and uh, maybe you were uh, abused in the church in some way, or there was, you experienced a lot of division and sin throughout the church, and it just really turned you off. And you're saying, no, nah, not for me anymore. No church. Well, you know, Paul could relate. He could relate to all of that at one degree or another. He could relate to his past where he saw his evil. He could relate to his past where he said, no, I used to pride my things in the good that I felt I was doing. He could uh, relate to um, a a false religious system that he was a part of. He can relate to being weighed down. He can relate to being in a spiritual prison. He can relate to being stuck in the past. And so when he writes this to the Philippian church, I think he writes to us too. Let me ask you a question. Another one. What if in the midst of all of that, as you think back to all of the past, that uh, the negative thoughts that come into our minds of all of our past failures before God, what if God was to turn to you in this moment and say to you the following, forget that. Forget it. I want you to start over. I know, it's like, oh my god, what? What if God was to say, "Forget it. I want you to start over. The only thing that matters to me is that you're pursuing Christ right now." What if you knew that God was saying that to you right now? I'm going to wipe the slate clean. It doesn't mean that there's no no consequences to the past. You're not saying that. But what if God was to say, in my eyes, through Christ, at this moment, the past is the past. Let's forget that. Let's start over. Now, if you heard that from God, if you knew that from God, how would you react? Would you say, well, that's, that's freeing. <laughs> that's awesome. I would love that to know that God looks at me that way in Christ. Would you feel a sense of freedom? Would you feel a sense of encouragement at that? That's fantastic. You know, I, I feel emboldened. I feel strengthened in my faith now that, um, you know, th- this, this, um, this sin is covered over. Or would you feel convicted? Would you be like, you know, if, you, if I knew that God was looking at me and he's saying, start over, let's forget it, let's go forward from here. And I knew that he was saying that to me would you feel convicted because you would say back to god nah now i'm good i'm good god cuz i've really gotten used to the place that i'm in right now the the anger the pity the regret that i am holding on to inside i am so used to that that the idea of replacing that with grace and forgiveness and holiness and God's goodness? No, it's, it, it sounds nice, but I'd rather stay in the past than for have you forget it because I'm so used to this place and so much a part of my life. And that would be convicting, wouldn't it, for that? And so where are we in all of that? Let's look at uh, this passage. We're going to point out a few things as we go from verse 12 to verse 16. Let's go to the first here. Okay, verse 12, Paul says this, he's making a point, and he's starting off by establishing that he is speaking to Christians, Um, actually, let's go upwards, Uh, let's see, perfect, okay. Um, He is making a point that we are saved in Christ. If you look in verse 12, the second part of verse 12, and also skip down to verse 16, He says, Christ has made us his own. Verse 12, part B. Skip down to verse 16. Let us hold true to what we already attained. Point one. Paul is establishing that who he's speaking to first is the church. He is speaking to professing believers who have Uh, had Christ in their life, Christ has made us his own, verse 12, verse 16, believers who are holding true to what we have already attained. We've already attained a relationship with Christ. So everything he says after this point is to the people who already have the presence of Jesus Christ and the power and the person of the Holy Spirit living within them to make possible everything he's going to say after this point. So let's move on. Now in verse 12 and verse 13. He's at this point forward. He's going to make a point not about our salvation. We have in Christ, but our, our sanctification in Christ in verse 12 and verse three, 13. He says not that I've already obtained it or I'm already perfect. Yes, I have Christ. I Christ. I have obtained Christ Christ Christ. But in terms of fully living out my life as a Christian, I haven't obtained that perfectly. Verse 13, And I do not consider that I have made it. What is it? It is the full realization of Christ's, uh, uh, Christ's likeness in his life. I do not consider that I have made it my own. Okay? Very, very important distinction. So as God has come into his life, he also realizes that he's not perfect. He realizes that his life is still filled with sin. He hasn't quite made it his own. And so what is Paul saying here up until this point? What, 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 how do we combine verse 12 and verse 13 and verse 16? What's kind of the summary of what Paul is saying up until this point? I'm going to give you a metaphor based on a conversation that I had this past week. Okay. All right. So um, I was in Little Tokyo this past week with, I um, uh, went to an event at the Artani Theater on Thursday night with Holland, Sebastian, Chris, Peter, Yunji, uh, my friend Brandon, my friend Greg, and uh, we were at this talk of an artist named Takahashi Murakami. He's one of the most well-known artists in Japan. He's giving me a talk about his ventures in, into the NFT space. Um, the Artani Theater was, was packed. There was like 500 people, mostly Gen Zers there. Um, and, uh, and we were there. And, and after we went to go eat, me, Chris, and my friend Brandon at Spitz, which is on 2nd Street in Little Tokyo, And, um, I was telling them, Oh, yeah, I used to love, like, playing with Japanese toys and watching these Japanese. Uh, shows as a kid. Uh, these probably will not mean anything to you, but they meant a lot to me when I was you know, in elementary school. I used to watch shows like Hikaida, Johnny Sacco and his giant robot, um, Go Ranger, um, Ultraman, um, Shogun Warriors, and these were all shows I would watch as a kid. Uh, by the way, Power Rangers was a blatant rip-off from the show I used to watch as a kid called <laughs> Go Ranger. They copied the show exactly. You may not know that, but I have the proof. Okay, It started with these Japanese, you know, shows, Uh, and they were basically uh, go speed, Rachel, mock, go, go, go. All of these shows, right? And and so we we were talking about one of the shows. Go, did you guys have you guys ever seen the movie War of the gargantuous And they're like, huh, what's that? War of the gargantuous was one of the greatest Japanese sci-fi movies ever, after the original Godzilla movie. And um and so I actually rewatched it this week. Um. And so in this movie, and then we're going to get to how this relates to Paul. The movie goes like this. It takes place in Japan. There's these two scientists that raise this one, um, uh, you know, like orangutan kind of figure, the the, the orange one. Hadn't seen him in 40 years or a long time. And then um, all of a sudden, this green uh, gargantua, like large Godzilla-sized orangutan shows up on the coast of Japan, kills a ship. Starts terrorizing the city. Military comes around and says, we got to destroy this. This is a monster. we got to get rid of him. We'll bring all our missiles against this guy. Halfway through, so he's evil, right? The green guy is evil. He's just destroying. He's eating people, everything. Halfway through the movie, the orange one shows up. And the orange one, the orange orangutan shows up and he goes, and he actually saves the green one. It turns out that they're brothers. See, they thought there was only one. The green evil one turns out that there was an orange good one. Now they're brothers, and so the movie progresses, and they realize at a turning. I'm going to ruin the movie for you, okay? (laughs) Towards the end, as as they're attacking the green one, all of a sudden the orange one turns on the green one because we realize the orange one is the good one. He still looks like this monster, and he ends up fighting his brother, and they die at the end of the movie. All right, what now it's one of my favorite, what Paul is saying here as a metaphor is a lot like the movie, the war of the Gargantuas. Think about it. Okay. He is saying that in the past, we all used to be like the green gargantua. Okay, we were evil through and through. We were ugly on the. This is what we look like on the inside. Okay, if you were to take a spiritual X-ray machine of who we were as sin, we're the green guy. You know, we devour people. We're ugly. We're out of control. Sinfulness to the core. But when you come to know Christ, you have a complete change in identity. You're no longer the green evil. You're now the orange good orangutan monster. Now, you're not perfect yet. You are completely different. You still look ugly at times, but uh, Christ in you has changed you from the green to the orange, even though there's some ugly parts that still look at you're fundamentally different. And this is what he's saying. We have, we Christ has made us his own. We're orange. We have already obtained Christ. We're orange, but we haven't quite become perfect. Because even though we're the orange monster, there's this part of us. that's still kind of ugly. You know, from our past, it's like clothing us with this dirty coat, but we got to move forward in Christ. I hope that worked for you. It totally worked for me. Okay. That totally worked. But maybe you had to grow up with these movies. Um, So let's move on. And those were the scientists. All right. So now he says this in verse 13, forgetting what lies behind, forgetting what lies behind. Behind. One of the marks of a mature Christian is that you have obtained Christ, you realize you have not been perfected in Christ. And so the road to being perfected in Christ, even though we never quite get there until He returns, is to first forget what lies behind. Now, let me unpack that. What does it mean to forget what lies behind in your spiritual walk? For Paul, what that meant, if you go back to verse 4 through 6, earlier on in the chapter, we talked about this last week. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 4 through 6, Paul said, he gives his list of credentials. I myself have reasons for confidence in the flesh. And this is where he had both seeing himself as good, but he now realizes how evil this was to place his confidence in his own accomplishments above Christ. He said, hey, you know what, I I was circumcised, I was a people of of the people of Israel, Hebrew of Hebrews, Um, I was devoted to the law, I was zealous, I was persecutor of the church, etc., and I was blameless in terms of works righteousness. When Paul says in verse 13, I want to forget what lies behind, this is specifically what he's talking about. He's talking about what he had previously said in verse 4 through 6. He's saying, you know what? I look back on my past in two ways. It seemed like a pristine resume of all these good things of who I was and what I did. You know, Hebrew of Hebrews, zealous for the law, etc. It was pristine. It was good. But secondarily, and at the same time, I now see that as rubbish. I now see it as cow excrement. He's saying both at the same time. Okay, now, this is what it meant for Paul, and um, like we said last week, what would be the contextualization of that for many of us? For many of us, we're not all Asian. I get that. Many of you are. There's this stereotype of Asians. We are this model minority, some of us. Now, it's not true for all Asians. I understand that, but I'll make a general generalization that's generally true. A lot of Asians look at themselves as the model minority. It's not, our, I didn't make that up. It's just out there in culture. And the reason why is because a lot of Asians, like Paul in verse four through six, look at their lives and they say, I will judge my value. I will judge whether I'm a success or not based upon the following criteria. What school did I go to? How much money am I going to make? Am I married? Do I have kids? What does my house look like? Um, do, am I just seen like as a model citizen and respected? And if I have those, oh, and if my kids are good in music and sports, all the better, right? Oh, if, they, if they're well known. And we tend to look at that and say, that is the basis for my righteousness. If I have that, and if I get Christ on top of that, that's great. But really, it's like this other stuff. That is my definition of success. That is really how I determine whether God is for or against me. If I have checked off all the, just like Paul, Paul checked off all the boxes. And uh, he now realized with Christ, that's not really what it was about. He he was actually pretty embarrassed about that stuff at that point. So that's what it would have meant for Paul. Forgetting, what lies behind now for us we're not Paul there is like probably nobody in this room myself included that would say I have this pristine religious resume before I came to Christ just like Paul you know from a worldly perspective so what does that mean for us? He, because he's speaking as a Christian at this point. I, even right now, am forgetting what lies behind spiritually. What does he not mean when he says that for us? And what does it mean? Forgetting what lies behind does not mean this. It does not mean there's no area of your life in your past that you need to repent of. It doesn't mean that. Forgetting what lies in your past does not mean there is no instance in your life where you might need to reconcile with someone in your past. That's not what it means. Forgetting what lies behind does not mean that, um, it doesn't mean that you are to forget all of the biblical doctrine that you learned in the past, or even you are to forget God's faithfulness in the past. It doesn't mean that. And finally, forgetting what lies in the past does not mean it does not mean that you are to now forget the evil people that you were associated with before you came to know Christ. It does not mean that you were part of this, this uh, foolish, reckless behavior in the past, and you are to just forget, oh, that you were ever part of that, and now you're going to go return back to that life because you forgot about it, and now you just go back to it like a pig returns to it, dog returns to its own vomit. That's not what Paul is talking about here. What he is talking about for us when he says this, I forget what lies behind. Is he talking about this? I will forget that um, my value before God and my value as a human being is not based upon my worldly success, it is not based on any success I have had in ministry oh, you don't know how God has used me in the past, how much fruit, fruitful my ministry has been, how much theological knowledge I have done. And so I take great pride in that. He, he's saying he doesn't base his value on that. He is also saying to us that um, forgetting what lies behind, what does that mean for us? It means that we are to forget the spiritual grudges that we have had in the past. We are to forget and leave behind the bitterness that we have had in the past. Um, We are to leave behind all of the ways that we have um, been involved in shameful behavior. Behavior that elicits great guilt in our life. And um, because Christ has covered over that. His blood has covered over that. Now, it does not mean that those things did not matter. It does not mean that there are no consequences for those actions. It does not mean that um, there are not actions that we need to take to make those situations right. It does not mean that we need to not turn from those things in our past. What it does mean, though, is those that the foolishness of our past the recklessness of our past, the times that we have fallen short and been hypocritical towards the Lord, the times that we have been involved in shameful, lawless behavior in the past, that that is not to define who you are today, and it is not to hold you back from the life that Christ wants for you going forward. And um, and certainly... If you're here today and you don't know Christ, it is not your power. Whatever you've done, whoever you've been in the past, that should not hold you back from giving your life to Christ. Even this day. Christ's grace, God's grace is greater than your failures. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God's love and his grace and his forgiveness is greater than any Failure, evil in your life in the past. It is. It is. And so when Paul says, forgetting what lies. Think about this, you guys. When Paul's saying, I forget what lies behind. Think about who he is. All right. We know that according to Acts chapter 8, we know that who Paul was. um, and, And Paul is writing uh, this epistle, this, this must have been, uh, what, uh, 25, 30 years after the events of Acts 8. And if you remember, in Acts 8, we know that Paul was a persecutor of the church. We know that he applauded the stoning of Stephen in Acts chapter 7 and chapter 8, when Stephen was was, uh, stoned to death and he was uh, martyred for the faith. We know that it says specifically that Paul approved of his death and that Paul was going on, it says in the book of Acts, to get letters to further persecute the church as he was going on the road to Damascus. Now, think about this for a moment. When Paul says, but one thing I do, I forget what lies behind. He is saying that, not just to the Philippian church, not just to you. He's saying that about himself. Why is that important? Paul realized, follow me on this, Paul realized that the grace of God was big enough to forgive him of his past. And what was his past? His past was involved in killing people. His past was involved in persecuting the body of Christ. And I don't know what you've done in your past, but whatever you've done is not worse than what Paul did when he said these words about himself. One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind. And if Paul can say that about himself, being a man who helped destroy the church in its beginning stages don't you think god can say that about you don't you think that god can want you to say the same thing forgetting it, it doesn't mean the past doesn't matter in any way but what it does mean it says you know what i need to trust that whatever has happened in the past week and month I cannot change the past. And it doesn't mean it doesn't matter. What it means is what God wants for me at this moment, on this afternoon, at this service, at 425, is he he wants me to say, okay, I'm going to um, not let what has happened stop me from embracing the Lord. Stop me from bringing this before the Lord. Stop me from involving the body of Christ in this journey. Because if I do, then I'm not going to be forgetting what lies behind. I'm going to be what? I'm going to be consumed by what lies behind. And you have to ask yourself a very important question this, uh, this afternoon. How important is it to you that you forget what lies behind? And is it worth it enough to you to move past either your unbelief or your pride that God cannot do and work through the ways that you have messed things up. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God can make all things work for the good for those who love him, no matter how bad we have messed it up in the past. And the key to that is saying to yourself, I will move beyond my unbelief. I will move beyond my desire to hold on to my misery. And I will move beyond what has happened to say, all right, now what matters in this moment is what I'm going to do from this point forward. And that is not some kind of self-help, you know, motivational talk. What that is, is God saying, um, I'm going to meet you. I'm going to meet you right now. And I want you to believe that um, you're going to move forward and you're going to move forward with me and to me. And I, as the Lord, am going to see you through this. Do you believe that? That Paul did. And see, that's why he goes on and he says verse 13 and 14. He says, now, as I forget what lies behind, I strain forward to what lies ahead. I press on what, like with the with the, the the focus, the endurance of an athlete, with the mission of a soldier, with the endurance of a farmer, I press on for the goal of the prize, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And when He says this, this is not some kind of Christian Buddhism. He's saying this again, based out of the work of God that was initiated by God in his life to begin with, and now out of that, that has transferred him from the green gargantuan to the orange gargantuan, now he's pressing forward as the orange gargantuan. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 and 13, a passage we looked at uh, a month or so ago, he says, verse 12, verse 13 of chapter 2, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, Actually, let's go to verse 13 first, and then we'll re- re- read verse 12. He said, verse 13, For it is God who works in you, both to will to, and to work for his good pleasure. Verse 13, God is at work for his good pleasure. Now go to verse 12, chapter 2. But therefore, my beloved, you was always obeyed. So now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, work out your salvation. With fear and trembling, i.e., strain forward to what lies ahead. Press on the goal for, to the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So, at this point, you should be asking yourself this question: Well, what does that mean? What does that look like? What are you talking about? Yes, I understand. You're with. I'm with you, Pastor. Press forward, upward call of God to win the prize in Christ Jesus. Uh, so, so what does that look like in real life? How, how, how do I do that? So let me give you briefly five pastoral pieces of advice to help, us, to help us move forward towards the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Five pieces of pastoral advice. Number one is to realize that in the Christian faith, the Christian faith is a forward, future-looking faith. And in order to do that, in order to move forward in the present towards the future that God has for you, the first thing you need to do, number one is you need to move away from evil people. You need to move away from a crowd of evil people that are influencing you. Is that the workplace? Is it relatives? Is it friends? Whatever that might be. I'm not saying if that's happening in your own family, I'm not saying to go get a divorce. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is in general, in general, If you want your Christian faith to move forward, it's very difficult for that to happen. If by your own volition, I'm not talking, if you're in the workplace and you got evil people, sometimes you can't do anything about it. I get that, right? But when you have a choice on who to hang out with and in that area of your life where you have a choice of who to hang out with and you're choosing To hang out with evil people. Guess what? Do not come to God and say, I want my life to move forward towards Christ Jesus, if if the environment that you're in is working counter to that. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20 says this He who walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools suffers harm. He who walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools suffers harm. Who you hang out with will determine your character. And so if you want to press on and straight forward towards Christ, you, you got to separate. Um, I knew a lot of people in my 20s who were my friends. Um, fun, fun guys. You know, guys that just embraced me, friends, and um, kind of went to church sometimes uh, went on vacation with this group of friends. Hung out with them. Played sports with this group of guys. Met, went out to many meals with this particular group of guys. I don't see them anymore um, because after a couple years of hanging out with them, um, I just realized, you know what? This this is they're not completely evil. I mean, in, in terms of what they're doing, but they're just not going anywhere. They're not going anywhere with their with their lives, and they're not going anywhere in terms, certainly not towards God. And the more I hang out with them, I realized this in my mid-20s, the more my faith was stagnating. Why? Because evil and an evil environment of people cannot. is not just, are we pulling out our pitchforks? It's They may just not be actively moving towards God. And that's its own form of evil that will drag you down. So ask yourself, what is the crowd I'm hanging around with? Number two, what is another breakthrough to straining forward and pressing on for the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Number two is move away, move away from mundane Christianity. Move away from lukewarm Christianity, lukewarm church, like um, unpassionate Christians at you know, as that mark the, the total experience of church. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, we don't go through times where we're struggling. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, if you're in an environment where your church experience is marked, as you look around and say, hey, you know what? These other Christians are good, but um, it's really like this kind of bare minimum, lowest common denominator expression of Christianity then maybe that's not the best, most conducive place for you to be in, for you to press forward and strain forward towards Christ. It's not just in the world of moving away from unbelievers that are evil or just dragging you down. It also happens in the church sometimes. Sometimes you can find yourself in a church environment where people can be believers And it doesn't mean everyone has to be a martyr. What it means is that there's a culture in a church that can happen where it, it over time, dulls your faith into conformity and um, ineptitude and atrophy. You know, you, most of you are too young to know this. I'll just summarize it with the bottom line over the past 30 years in America here in the Western context, in the American church, and certainly throughout Europe, they went through this before us. Uh, For the past 30 years, there there has been this kind of overall macro mindset that has been taught to pastors, a lot of pastors in the American church, that you have been the unfortunate um, victims of. And I know this because I've seen the books, I've seen the conferences, I've heard the talks over three decades. And it goes like this. Um, It's created a culture here in America that has been counterproductive counterproductive to you pressing forward, moving forward, and straining forward, and just fighting for the upward call of Christ. And that church culture looks like this. Um, A lot of times church leaders are taught to say, hey, you know what? If you want your church to grow, if you want your church to combat the the onslaught of a post-Christian culture, what you need to do is to establish a church culture that requires the bare minimum of Christians, the bare minimum. If they just say they believe in the bare minimum of the faith, that's almost good enough. And if you can just keep them coming to church, um, here's what you do. You, uh, You let them define themselves as spiritual consumers. That's where we get the term church shopping, by the way, right? I will shop for church because I see myself as a church consumer. And so... They see, people will see church as a place to just consume religious goods and services to be served. I'll come, I'll hang out for an hour and a half a week, and then I'll leave, and that's my experience of church because it requires a bare minimum of me. I have my shallow beliefs, and um, I'll passively attend, and also refer to people as not as servants, not as slaves of Christ, but what as volunteers. That's why we don't call you volunteers at this church. Volunteers is a term that communicates that uh, you are busy people. Can you volunteer a few extra moments of your time when you have it, like you volunteer at the soccer club, you know, your kid's soccer team or the PTA? Or whatever. No. We say we're servants. We're slaves of Christ. We're not volunteers. And the problem that you have, and you may not have realized it, is that you've grown up in a specific period of time in american history where there's an overall cultural ethos that works against you pressing forward straining forward challenging you in your faith in many of our experiences breakthrough number 3 if you want to move towards upward call of god in christ jesus commit yourself to god's word and to prayer Commit yourself to God's Word in prayer. Hebrews chapter 4 says that God's Word is active. It's living. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. 2 Timothy 3 says that it will equip you for every good work. This is the one book in your life that's spiritually alive. Every other book is just a book. It's the only book in human history where the very words of God speak into your soul and can change it. You commit to God's word. It's dynamic and moving. And we commit to prayer. And that gets our spirit in line with movement of the spirit. You want to move towards Christ. Um, What role does the word of God play in my life? What role does prayer play in my life? Breakthrough number four. Get around other believers that are moving. Get around other believers or get around a church that's moving With Christ. Get around other believers or a church that are moving with Christ. Our church is moving with Christ. Um, I'm going to give two pieces of advice to you friends and dating. I made a decision when I was 23 years old. um, And I basically said this I was about 23, 24. I said, the criteria that I'm going to use on who I spend time with, who I hang out with as a follower of Christ will be one of two types of people. And if the people that I come across fall into either one of these categories, I'm going to try and hang out with them. Category number one, I said, who are the people who are growing as disciples in Jesus Christ? Who are the people who are, Are making disciples of Jesus Christ. And if I found people who are growing as disciples and making disciples of Jesus Christ, I wanted to attach my life to their life. The second group of people was all right, if they're not growing and making disciples, then who is open to becoming a disciple who's not currently a disciple of Jesus Christ? And if people fell into one of those two categories, those are the people I have. And you know what? My life moved forward spiritually. My life moved to the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Why? It's because I was moving with people and attaching my life to people who were what? Whose lives were moving towards Christ. And so I said the, that criteria more so than what race we were, what socioeconomic status we were. If we've shared the same love of you know, hobbies or whatever it was, that other criteria was far more important to me than uh, the other things. Not that those things don't matter. They do, to some extent. But even who I spent time with, even with relatives. I even put that above spending time with doesn't mean you can't have friends. doesn't mean relatives that aren't I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, what was the main focus? And secondly, secondly in terms of getting around other believers uh, and, and churches moving with Christ, um, I realized what we had gotten wrong with the advice that we give to Christians related to dating. Related to dating, See, we have a bad um, way of communicating to Christian singles who to look for, the criteria to look for when you're looking for someone to date or to marry. What we tend to do in the church is we say, if you are a Christian, what you should look for is someone who says they are Christian and someone who, goes, who says they go to church or who attends church. Now you're you're saying, well, what are you talking about, Pastor Chris? Are you saying that you don't want to date or marry someone who's a Christian, goes to church? No, I'm not saying that. What I am saying is that's not the best advice. And I'll tell you why. Is because I've now lived long enough, and many of you have as well, where you will know that you have seen people who say they are Christian, and they aren't really Christian. They think they are, but they're not. Or you have seen people, two Christians get into a relationship and their relationship, even though they're professing Christians, is just as carnal as two unbelievers being in a relationship. Have you not? I have. I have seen that. Have you also not seen people who say they go to church, but going to church doesn't really lead to their lives being changed? Going to church means I will attend for that hour and a half that I don't have anything else to do on Sunday. And that's all it ends up being. Now, is going to church and seeing your Christian a Christian generally a good sign? Yes, it is. The better advice we should be giving to Christian singles that will help them to get around believers that are moving towards the upward call of God in Christ Jesus is this. If you are a Christian single, you should be asking yourself the following two better questions. Not, are they Christian and going to church? But number one, when, I'm, when I as a single person am around this other single person do I become more like Jesus? Do I become more like Jesus? Secondly, when that other person that I'm dating is around me, do they become more like Jesus? It's far more important. Those two questions, because you can't fake Christianity when your life is becoming more like Jesus and their life is becoming Jesus. And then, you know, you really have something that's truly Christian And where the church is involved. Whose life is becoming more like Jesus? Why? Because the upward call of God is not to attend church. It is not to adopt a moniker of Christianity. The upward call of God is what? Is towards Christ Jesus. And when you see those two things happening, you know you have something that God would approve. And finally, breakthrough number five. To move forward in your faith, get involved in serving. Get involved in sharing your faith. Get involved in creating a ministry. Get involved in the ministering to those who are suffering. Serve, evangelize, create a ministry. Get involved in those who are suffering. Because those kind of dynamic environments are the kind of environments that move you forward towards Christ. Lastly, for today, in verse 15, as we close... Um, through all of this, Paul uh, says this, those of us that are mature, which again, it's one of the signs of a mature Christian, forgetting that which lies behind and moving forward to the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That's one of the marks of mature Christianity. And then he says this in verse 15, if you think this way, if any of you think otherwise than what I've been talking about, he says in verse 15, God will reveal that also to you. God will reveal to you. He will reveal to you what are the things that you need to let go of from your past. He will reveal to you what is holding you back from the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He will reveal to you the path forward towards Christ. In closing, a lot of the Christian faith is not about, I had no idea, this is such a revelation, I've never heard this before. Some of it is, but a lot of it, you guys, is simply, I hear you, Pastor, and and I've heard something like this before, but I wasn't ready to receive it before. I wasn't ready. Um, For whatever reason, I rejected it, I didn't want to, Uh, I I need to hear it ten times before I really understand I wasn't ready, but now that I hear it, I'm ready. I'm ready to move forward towards the Lord. That's the issue. Are you ready to move forward towards the Lord? Are you unwilling and would rather stay in an unhealthy past situation that will drag you down away from the Lord And away from Christ. Are you willing and are you ready or are you not? Let's pray together. With all eyes closed, as we close together in worship right now, uh, I just want you to come to the Lord and ask yourself that question Am I willing? Am I ready? Am I willing? Am I ready? I want you to ask the Lord, Lord, if I think differently, will you reveal that to me? And uh, the past is a powerful thing. The past 24 hours is a powerful thing. The past from years ago is a powerful thing in our lives. And uh, it shapes us. It scars us. It may have... uh, change some of the trajectories of some of your lives and it's not to say that God is going to fix that in in a snap of a finger but it is to say God I move forward towards Christ Jesus because I need Christ I need him to overcome the past I need him to take the past and, um, and see me through this and to take the wreckage and the rubble of my past. Does any of you have wreckage and rubble in your past here today? To take that, Lord, and to make all things work for the good for those who love him. Is that the cry of your heart? Lord, take the wreckage and the rubble I don't even know how. Help my unbelief, Lord. Help my unbelief. Help me to move forward towards Christ. Not that I have already obtained this perfection, but I want to strive forward, Lord. Because as Jay prayed, you are not a victim. You are not the conquered. But you are the conqueror through Christ. Because Christ in you has conquered and so turn to him in this moment amidst the wreckage of your dreams and the wreckage of your life. And say, I give this to you, Lord. There's a new plan. There's a new plan here. What is it, Lord? And I, I trust you with this, Father. And so, Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Help us to believe in our unbelief. A, work, a new work in us, Father. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand together and we'll go ahead and close.